0: This year was better than last year. Last year was better than the year before. The year before was better than the year before that. So this recovery experience is progressive. It gets better over any considerable period of time. And what a gift that is. Listen, if I could have just separated from alcohol and not drank myself to death, I would have done all this stuff. But there is a benefit. There is a rebuilding process that has gone on within me, that has really brought me to peace.
1: Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. Uga shaka, Uga shaka, Uga 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 shaka. Greetings from Studio AA, deep in the heart of Texas. That was the voice of Mr. Chris S that you heard at the beginning of this here episode number two hundred and eighty-nine of Sober Speak, and you folks will be hearing so much more from that gentleman in just a moment, but first things first, this here episode is brought to you by Adrian. By the way, Adrian's donation is a memory of his father, and I will read an email and listener feedback regarding Adrian's father. But anyway, it's brought to you by Adrian, Terry, Michelle, Brian, Marie, Kurt. Lou, Mary Lynn, Todd, Anonymous, and Audrey, what, you may ask, did these folks do? Terry and Michelle and Brian and Marie and Kurt and Lou and Mary Lynn and Todd and Anonymous and Audrey, well, they went to our little bitty website, clicked on the little yellow donate tab, and they made a a contribution. So thank you so much, Terry and Michelle and Brian and Marie and Kurt and Lou and Mary Lynn and Todd and Anonymous and Audrey. This here episode is coming right out to Ewan's. And I'm so looking forward to this here episode today. You know, I started it with that Uga Shaka thing. That is the strangest lyrics in a song maybe that I have ever heard. Actually, maybe it was from last week's start when I sang, not sang, but read the word, not read. I just had it in my head, but I recited, that's what I did, recited the words, Mama say, Mama saw, Mama ku saw. Uh, And most of you will know that's from Michael Jackson's song, Michael Jackson's, yeah, his song. Uh, I can't even remember the name of the song. But uh, anyway, I just uh, think it's interesting when people come up with lyrics like that. And I've been kind of into that with uh, starting the episode here lately. Nonetheless, um, so when I was just saying that word, uh, contribution, I, uh, so I spent last week in Montreal for some work. Uh, and those of you who are around the world who may not know this, Montreal is in uh, Quebec, which is in Canada. And they are a, you know, I, I like that city, but those people don't know a lick of English. <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding, because it is a primarily, uh, it is a French first uh, country, and I was trying out some of my French on them by saying, you know, things after the uh, when I was paying for dinner. Uh, Would you like a contribution? <laughs> but they they did not think it was um, uh, funny, or <laughs> they just had no idea what I I'd do, and they thought I was uh, pretty much a jerk. Uh, which a lot of people on this program uh who listened to this podcast think anyway but there was another thing that came up there for me i was i was going to the restroom and don't worry i'm not going to get too graphic here but i was going to the restroom and on the door it said h-o-m-m-e-s for men. Uh, there was another word for women. I can't remember exactly what it is, but I figured out the little symbol that I was supposed to use that particular restroom nonetheless. So I asked the waitress if that is where the term homies comes from. And she said, what? I say, you know, like My homie, my homeboy, is this where it comes from? It's like men. And she said, no, you don't even pronounce it that way. But I thought that I had discovered something, but I don't think I discovered anything whatsoever. But nonetheless... Hey, listen, let's just get on to some of the uh, episode and some listener feedback. So um, I am going to read a couple of pieces of feedback that we received here on the front of our episode today because we have a lot of... Listener feedback on the back end. I want to break it up a little bit. So I uh, have a couple of pieces of feedback before we get into Mr. Chris S. Alice writes in and Alice says, hi, John M. Greetings from Scotland. Well, hello. Hello, Alice. Uh, and then she says, AA found me eight months ago and I am currently on step eight. At this point, I don't know who I am anymore. I've not been sober since I was a teenager. I've got a lot of growing up to do for a 40 year old. And then she puts a big laugh out loud face. Uh, It is now I have fully surrendered to God. It is now I am using prayer and meditation to build our relationship, and I ask for God to rebuild me. I have been looking at literature. I need all the help I can get out of my head. It is a bit pickled. I was, I was having a browse through audible. Oh, that sounds so Scottish, doesn't it? I was having a browse through audible search for AA and came across your podcast. I struggled to attend meetings due to work. I have a home group and I do service once a week and more when I can. But I need to learn more and I need to seek the love and support of my fellows while I try to honestly and fearlessly work this program. I thought listening to your podcast uh, will hopefully help me to, Uh, help me, keep me, excuse me, close to AA and I will learn a lot. I have been recommended to listening to Mark Houston and lo and behold, he was on your list. I spent an amazing one hour and 38 minutes learning about being an agent of God, that was the title of the podcast, and she says, it has inspired me to listen to all the other podcasts. I plan to do this every day during my lunch break. I can't wait. It is refreshing to hear people from outside my wee city, Dundee in Scotland. That is so cool. When you say we city like that, that takes me back to my childhood with my mom and my grandmother and my aunt and everybody else on my mom's side of the family would use that word we... Um, it is such a Scott word, and it just is so so cool to use that. But anyway, she says we are an amazing group of AAs here and carry a wonderful message. But I have been known to do a geographical one, geographical once or twice. Although this time it's for good reasons. I'll keep my feet in Scotland. Ah, and so that reminds me of when my grandmother used to sing you take the high road and I'll take the low road and we'll get to Scotland before you. And I can't really sing very well at all, but you get the idea. She used to sing that all the time. Anyway, she says, I'll keep my feet in Scotland, but my ears are now open to God's world and universe. I am so very grateful I stumbled across Sober Speak. I look forward to hitting play tomorrow. (laughs) I am just at the start and feel blessed for what's to come with thanks and gratitude, Alice M. Alice, So cool to hear from you from Scotland. And uh, I'm glad that we can be part of your journey. and uh, I'll look forward to. and maybe when you hit play tomorrow, you'll actually hear your feedback. Thank you for writing in. Catherine writes in and she says, Hi, John. I'm so grateful for your podcast. Though not an alcoholic, I am a grateful recovering member of Al-Anon and ACA with an emotional sobriety date of 35 years this past February 1st. Well, good timing on... Um, writing in, Catherine, I am actually going to be featuring uh, one, uh, Miss Cassandra, who is a big part of our podcast, and she is in ACA, and we're going to be featuring her story here in a few weeks. So uh, um, stay tuned, and you get to hear an ACA, ACA ACA-er. I guess that's the term, you know what I'm saying? Uh, she says, I grew up in an alcoholic home, one where there is not one aspect of my life that the effects of alcohol had not affected as the firstborn daughter of an alcoholic father and a drug addicted mother. I grew up feeling flawed, ashamed, unworthy and began suffering bouts of major depressive episodes and panic attack disorder around my late teens. 16 years later, after the birth of my third child, I discovered a book that changed my life. Healing the Child Within by Dr. Charles Whitfield, one of the founders of the adult child movement. I saw myself on every page and suddenly knew I was not alone. I started attending an ACOA meeting, found a sponsor and started working the steps. The 12 steps have literally saved my life with three exclamation points. During the hell of the pandemic, Zoom meetings and podcasts such as yours were what preserved my sanity and my serenity. Thank you, in big capital letters, for your service. It is so valuable for the for those of us on all sides of the recovery spectrum. With much gratitude, Catherine Z in Hudson, Ohio. I wonder if that's where Kate Hudson is from. I doubt it. But anyway, uh, thank you so much, Catherine, for writing in. I really appreciate it. God bless you, and you're right. It is valuable for us on all sides of the recovery spectrum. And I'm, glad, I'm so glad, once again, that we can be a small part of your recovery. God bless you, Catherine, out there in uh, Hudson, Ohio. And if you're listening out there and you happen to run across Catherine, give her a big hug for us, all right? All right, everybody. Now on to Mr. Chris S. And this here episode is called Recovery is Progressive. By the way, I started to abbreviate that, but then I realized it was RIP. So I decided maybe I better come up with another uh, abbreviation. But nonetheless, Chris is from Blairstown, New Jersey. He discusses What is alcoholism? What makes one an alcoholic? Why am I an alcoholic? And what separates me as a heavy heavy drinker? The bondage of self. Talks about Joe and Charlie, who have been on this podcast many times. Joe Hawk, who has also been on this podcast as well. Life as a circuit speaker. Chris has lived that. The hand of providence and how that has shown up in Chris's life. Connection unity wholeness and much much more without further ado by the way I guess that is a French word as well right adieu without further ado I wonder what it means I have to go look it up sometime without further ado I present to you mr. Chris s and we will have plenty more of oh listen when no, plenty oh more listener feedback at the end of this here episode enjoy Okay, everybody. So today we're sitting here with Mr. Chris S. Uh, Mr. Chris S., to start us off, please. I'm going to ask you to go ahead, introduce yourself, give your sobriety date if you choose, and tell people where you live in this land of ours, please. I sure will. Thank you so much
0: for having me on. My name is uh, Chris. Uh, I'm I'm a a recovered uh, member of Alcoholics Anonymous. My sobriety date is on or around December twenty eighth, nineteen eighty nine, it was a very, very bleak and strange period. Uh, but I claim the twenty eighth as a as a sobriety day, and I live in a town called Blairstown, New Jersey, up by the Delaware Water Gap.
1: Blairstown is that what it's called? Yes. And uh, I noticed right as we were starting there that you are a Dunkin' Donuts coffee fan. You're drinking for some uh, Dunkin' Donuts coffee. And I really, whenever I come up Northeast, I it's it's great i love dunkin donuts and i love their coffee uh and so uh i'm jealous that you have one at every single quarter up in that area
0: yeah you know dunkin donuts is, fi- is fine as uh, fine uh you know starbucks is good too if you like paying 13.95 for a small coffee
1: uh, <laughs> it's, it's
0: all good normally normally we just make our own but we were out on the road before uh before i sat down with you
1: Whenever I'm up in Boston, and I've been up there many, many times, uh, it's as you probably know, it's how they give directions, right? It's like you go down to the Dunkin' Donuts, you take a right. You go down to the next Dunkin' Donuts, you take a left. And uh, anyway, it's it's a good coffee. All right. So um, we, uh, by the way, I I was referred to you through Marty. You and Marty C are good friends. Marty's,
0: Marty's one of my best friends. I love him. He's, yeah, crazy. he's my a great favorite guy. Canadian. My absolute <laughs> favorite Canadian.
1: <laughs> he's been on. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but he's been on the uh, podcast. Gosh, I, I would imagine like seven, eight times, something like that. And so he's kind of taking a a slow walk through the steps. I'm assuming that you probably know Charlie and all that. And Charlie,
0: Charlie, he's he's my favorite Texan. Uh, so yeah.
1: Well, wait a second. I, I, can I be your second favorite Texan? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Charlie, uh, Charlie, and Katie are just—they're uh, they're forces of nature—is the best way I can describe them. Uh, the planet is is uh, is very lucky to have them uh, um, uh, amongst the uh, the inhabitants. That's the best way I can put it.
1: Yep, they sure are. Okay, so let's go ahead and. Uh, So so this is your first time on uh, Sober Speak. And a lot of times we kind of go through at least people coming on the first time is is their story. And I think what we're going to do today is kind of combine your story with finding recovery in Alcoholics Anonymous and what the nuance is around that. So first of all, why don't you just kind of start where you want to start, Chris, and um, we'll take it from there.
0: Sure, first first and foremost, you know I'm an alcoholic. Now, um, the strange thing was when I was dying of alcoholism, I really, I really didn't understand alcoholism. I didn't really know what it was. Um, I thought alcoholism was, was drinking too much. Uh, but there's a lot of people that drink too much that are not alcoholic. Uh, I, I, I thought it, I was an alcoholic because I got in a lot of trouble drinking. And believe me, there's a lot of people that get in a lot of trouble drinking who are not alcoholic. So, so, so showing up, you know, I went to treatment a couple of times, I, I my, you know, 19 years I drank, and you could just, you could just plot the, The trajectory of the downhill slide on an Excel chart. You know, every year there were there were uh, worse consequences. My physical health was getting worse. Uh, My my drunken blackouts were getting. It was just it was just an absolute mess. But here's the here's the thing. I discovered what alcoholism was after I was sober in Alcoholics Anonymous for a while. And, and and I think it's really really important to understand what alcoholism is. Now I can I can tell you I can tell you my story and I can tell you uh, all the car crashes and the divorces and, and you know the coming to in jail. I could tell you all those stories, right? But but I, I think I think alcoholism. Uh, those are symptoms of alcoholism. All all that craziness that happens. Those are symptoms and consequences of, you know, you get drunk, you do drunk stuff, <laughs> and a lot of a lot of that stuff was drunk stuff. But I show I show up I show up in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I get exposed to some people who um, who had a real working knowledge of the information in the book alcoholics anonymous they they were just really clear on all the material in that book and they had become very very good at transmitting you know their personal experience and the information in that book to other people in an understandable way and and I started to I started to get that I was I was alcoholic now now why was I alcoholic well uh, there's two or three things that all alcoholics have have in common. Uh, you know, one of them, one of them is is every single time I started drinking, um, if the alcohol remained available and I could drink it, I kept drinking it. Every single time. Now there was a lot of people that I partied with that would have two or three beers, or you know, hey, you know, I've had enough. I'm I'm going to be driving, or you know, I you know I got to work tomorrow. Uh, but if the alcohol was available and I could drink it, I would continue to drink it until I was unconscious. And that was from day one. That was from when I was 13 years old. So so that's what. The book Alcoholics Anonymous describes as the phenomenon of craving or the allergy to alcohol. Now, how, you know, what's my personal experience with that? Well, I recognized that from a young age. You know, my first couple of drunks were on hard liquor and I said, whoa, 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 let's, you know, let's slow this thing down, you know? (laughs) And, uh, And I started to drink some of the things that, 13 year olds were drinking back then like you know Boone's Farm apple wine and yeah. you know schnapps you know all that yeah beer. and and then i became a beer drinker because it just seemed like i could pace beer better than i could pace the whiskey so right out of the gate, I started to make efforts to control this phenomenon of craving, to try to outwit it, to, to use drugs, to 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 try to, you know, try to baffle that or slow that down so that I could actually go out to a party and not pass out at seven o'clock at night. You know, so, so there was efforts, there was efforts right out of the gate to try to control my drinking. You know, that doesn't necessarily. That's not necessarily the experience of non-alcoholics, right? <laughs> uh, the other thing that uh, that I recognized that was shared with me by these these folks who had real working knowledge of the book was uh, the obsession of the mind, and that was m- a much harder lift for me. Now, uh, now, you know how it's described in in our book is it's an inability to stay separated from alcohol we don't we don't have uh we, we can't use our willpower to stay away from liquor and strange things happen like strange mental blank spots subtle forms of insanity um, happened prior to me putting alcohol in my body because by the time i tried to quit i knew i knew that putting alcohol in my body was the craziest thing i could do i knew it but i would put it in anyway now, now this was, this was the baffling part of alcoholism for me because I knew I wouldn't quit drinking, but I didn't know I couldn't drink quit drinking. Ooh. So wouldn't and couldn't are two completely different things. I lacked the power to stay separated from alcohol. And I only discovered that after I was sober for a while in in Alcoholics Anonymous. I, you know, there was enough power in the fellowship and all the activity and everything for me uh, for me to uh, to be spiritually sound enough uh, to remain separated from alcohol. But I tried to quit drinking, and this is what this is what the obsession of the mind would look like for me. I would come to in the morning wearing the clothes I had passed out in the night before. You know, I'd I'd stagger up, I'd stagger into the bathroom because it's a working day. You know, I've got to be at work at 7:30 or something. You know, I'd throw some water on my face, do some vomiting calisthenics. You know, you know, uh, stagger, <laughs> stagger out to my hundred dollar car and go off to my my terrible job. And the whole time, I am saying, I'm never going to do this again. I'm never going to do this again. I never want to feel like this. I know I have said this 398 times before. But there's something different about today. I really mean it today. I really mean it today. I mean it. And here's the crazy thing if you would put a lie detector on me and say, Chris, Chris, you've you given up alcohol for good and for all today. I would have said yes at eight o'clock in the morning and that, and the needle would have gone to true because I meant it. I meant it with every fiber of my being. But here's what would happen. Uh, I'd get half a sandwich down around lunchtime. You know, quitting time is 4.30, right? So, you know, I'd get rehydrated. I'd drink like a half a gallon of grape drink or something to get rehydrated. And I would start Mm -hmm. to feel a little bit human by about 3 o'clock. And I'd start to to say to myself, you know, you know that decision to quit drinking for good and for all? That might be an overreaction. I think I overreacted you know and by the time it's quitting time I, I, by the time it's 4:30 i'm like you know that decision to quit drinking is going to have to be modified i'm going to stop at the liquor store on the way home i'm going to buy a bottle and and you, you know it i'm i'm changing my mind i'm changing my mind about this quitting drinking now the insanity of alcoholism is not me quitting It's seven o'clock in the morning for the rest of my life. That's the most sane and sound decision I can make. That is in my best interest. The insane part is that I actually believe I'm changing my mind. I don't understand the true nature of powerlessness. I don't understand. I don't, I don't have, I don't have sufficient defense against the first drink. That's what makes me powerless. That's what I'm admitting to in the first step. And I didn't get that until until I was put in front of some people who who really understood this. Now, there's a dash, right? Uh, we admitted that we, we, you know, we're powerless over alcohol. Dash that our lives have become unmanageable. I, I was educated on that as well. I thought, okay, I'll admit my life is unmanageable when I drink. Okay. Because when I drink, I get into divorces, I get DUIs, I crash cars, I get into fights, I do crazy, stupid, weird things, you know, that I'm embarrassed about the next day. You know, okay, my life is unmanageable, but that's external drunk stuff, unmanageability. You know, the people that were, uh, the people that were working through the big w- with me said, Chris, it's worse than that. It's worse than that. The unmanageability is a spiritual unmanageability. It's an emotional unmanageability. And what it looks like is on a good day, you're going to be restless, irritable, and discontented. You ever feel restless, irritable, and discontented? Like, I have. Why are these people driving so slow? <laughs> 40 mile an hour slow! <laughs> you, you <know? laughs> so I'm like restless, irritable, and discontented. In between... Drinking, you know, this is sober, sober and, and supposedly sound of mind, um, restless, irritable, and discontented. That's a good day. Uh, a normal day is prey to misery, depression, anxiety, self-centered fear, guilt, shame, remorse. You know, it, it's, it's, you know, that's, that's a normal day for me. I am trapped in what the book calls the bondage of self, you know, the, the self-imposed crisis. That I cannot postpone or evade, and it's emotional and it's spiritual, and on a bad day, it's the fit, the the hideous four horsemen: terror, frustration, bewilderment, despair, and pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. You know, where I think about, I have su- su- suicidal ideation. I don't. I, I don't. I don't want to yeah. live this way anymore. You know, and and that's in a sober state of mind. You know, I'm tr- I'm trying to blame alcohol on everything and and what i should be blaming on everything is alcoholism because it's a you know it's a much it's a much bigger piece of the pie so so you know that's that's basically my story and that's basically how uh how i identify uh as as an alcoholic and why you know why i'm in the right place why you and i are talking right
1: now that makes sense so you mentioned something before we started about I guess, basically how people find recovery while they are actually in Alcoholics Anonymous. I am assuming that you had some sort of experience with that. Would you like to walk through that? You know, one of the
0: one of the saddest things I see today is I see people who, you know, maybe alcoholic may not be alcoholic, but but they've got an alcohol problem, and alcohol is causing a huge problem in their life, and, and they they come into to Alcoholics Anonymous and and they uh, they participate in the fellowship. All right, uh, I'm going to meetings. I'm going to meetings. I'm going to meetings. Now, what I learned was um, that. That if you're really alcoholic, um, there is a specific solution that's laid out in the book Alcoholics Anonymous for alcoholism. It's a it's a beautiful recovery program that is a solution to alcoholism, and a solution to alcoholism is not going to meetings and not drinking. That's not a solution to alcoholism. That's a that's a solution to 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 remain abstinent to be to be abstinent. But 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 if you're really an alcoholic, remaining abstinent is is five percent of you know what's available. So so my personal story is and how I how I found recovery in the fellowship was, I was going to meetings. I was You know, I knew I was in real trouble. I had gone to treatment a couple of times. You know, it was a terrible uh, Christmas of 1989. Okay. You know, I came out of a blackout, just, I'd rather die than go through something like that again, you know, a bottom. It was, it was, I just wished to dig myself no deeper. And I showed up in the fellowship and, and I did not understand. I really thought uh, that I was treating my alcoholism by going to the fellowship. And listen, going to the fellowship is a a good thing. Going to meetings is, I'm not knocking meetings. I'm I'm just saying, if you stop there, uh, it's, it's really bad luck. Now, I didn't know this. I'm going to a ton of meetings. People are patting me on the head saying, oh, Chris, I see you everywhere, man. You're doing great. You know, but inside I was nuts. Inside I was nuts. I was the type of guy who I'd sit in a, a discussion meeting and I'd be sitting there and all of a sudden he'd raise his hand. You probably know exactly who I'm talking about. I'm sitting there and I'm going, oh, no, oh, no, he raises his hand. Oh, my God, he raises his hand. Don't call him. Don't call him. Oh he's a blowhard. You're going to have to listen to the blowhard for five minutes, you know? Oh, I can't stand it. Oh, now he's grateful. Oh, isn't that wonderful. <laughs> cockles of my heart that he's grateful i think i'll go outside and slash all four of his tires and <laughs> have a meeting with him because i want to see how that gratitude holds up you know <laughs> finally he's done finally he's done you know and and i didn't want I, I don't want you to know what's going on in my head so i'm sitting there i'm sitting there like this like Thanks for sharing. (laughs) (laughs) Acting like I'm not completely insane. Now, now that's, that's me stark, raving sober. And I just, I don't know any better. And, you you know, how do you know what you don't know? I don't know any better. So I get exposed to these people who, who start to explain a recovery program. How it happened for me was somebody handed me a set of 90 minute Joe and Charlie tapes, right? then Mm -hmm. like, Eight eight 90-minute tapes, John Chuck. I listened to that and it, it just infuriated me because that maybe that's how they do AA in Arkansas. The <laughs> New Jersey, we share. <laughs> you, you <know. laughs> and so so I, I shoved the tapes aside. I hit it, I hit a sober bottom, a jumping off point, you know, what you can call it whatever you want, but it was it was it was it was basically an emotional breakdown. Uh, and I knew that I was going to relapse, I was going to kill myself, something. It was just, it was emotional pain I couldn't stand. And so I went back and I grabbed those tapes because they, they spoke with authority. They, they spoke like they actually knew what they were talking about. And a lot of the information in those tapes haunted me. So I go back to them, I start listening to them, and I, and I actually start going through the steps by myself with, with these tapes and, and an open book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And that, that's, that's, my, that's my beginning of my recovery. No one was taking anybody through the steps in New Jersey in 1990, <laughs> okay? You know, they were, they, you'd walk into a meeting and you'd raise your hand and say, I'm confused about this four-step. How do you do a four-step? And some old-timer would go, kid, you do a four-step with a pencil. And then everybody would start laughing. I mean, that's, that's the kind of help you would get, like, in nineteen. So, so, so these tapes were were seminal. They were transformational. They were revelatory for me. Very soon after going through those Joe and Charlie tapes, uh, I found uh, I found a set of tapes by Joe Hawk called the Joe Hawk Salvation Army Tapes. And this took it to a whole new level, right? I, I mean, I, I mean... It, what, what these tapes were good at was explaining the problem in detail explaining the solution and the step in detail explaining how to do the step specifically and then explaining what kind of uh, what kind of a benefit what kind of a result are you personally going to have by taking that step and 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 this just took me to a new level and then by the mid 90s uh, uh, Joe Hawk and Mark Houston were going around the country uh, doing workshops. And I got every single one of those workshops and I just started listening to them all the time. And, you know, uh, a lot of it was just educational. Like I was educating myself in this step process, but what really helped me personally was when I actually took the action to do the steps. So, I got an opportunity later on. Uh, uh, I had about ten years sober. I got an opportunity uh, to go through the through the steps with Joe Hawk. He had come uh, he'd come to New Jersey to do a retreat, and I got to know him, and we became friends. and And I asked him to take me through the steps, and and uh, and that's 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 what happened. So, so I see I see the twelve steps as the perfect solution to alcoholism. All right. And what I mean by that is the emotional, spiritual, mental part of alcoholism. Uh, I've already separated from alcohol. Now, you know, my, my, my problem becomes uh, an emotional and mental illness after I separate from, uh, from alcohol. And that's the part that the 12 steps treat. They treat that emotional and spiritual illness. That that truly is what alcoholism is.
1: So, I, I was thinking there while you were sharing, um, and I know you've seen this many times over. I get to see it, and uh, there's somebody, in fact, in our group, David, who David G, who says uh, uh, one of the forms of sanity is coming to a twelve step program, coming on a consistent basis sitting him sitting in, uh, uh, sitting in uh, meetings all the time and not doing the 12 steps and so why do what what is it you think why do people do that do you have any thoughts on that all
0: right I want I want to understand calculus it's going to be very very important for my business for me to personally understand calculus so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to the calculus classroom not going to bring a book, not going to do any of the problems, but I'm going to hang out in the calculus classroom. You know, I'm just going to hang out there. And afterward, you know, we're going to go for coffee after the calculus class. And, you know, I'll get a calculus sponsor and, you know, I'll, I'll make coffee for the, the calculus group. I'll even start dating people that I meet in the calculus. <laughs> but I'm not going to do any of the problems or learn any of the math. Would I be crazy? (laughs) I'd be wasting my time, right? But that's that's what happens. That's what happens in AA groups all the time. I, I, you know, at a after thirty three years of tons and tons of meetings, I would say maybe twenty percent of the people uh, in the groups actually take the steps. Probably another forty percent think they have had a step experience because they. Agree with the steps in theory, and they've gone to a lot of step meetings. And another another thirty uh, percent don't believe that the steps are going to be necessary in their case, so they're, they're not going to do them. They're fine with the fellowship. You know that's really what's going on out there uh, in in the fellowship. And you know our our success rate uh, is directly proportional to all that nonsense. You know, in the, in the early days, they took you through the steps before they brought you to meetings. You know, they didn't want you, they didn't want you showing up at meetings if you, you know, you didn't mean business. Yeah. So, uh, so it, it changed, it changed. And the fellowship, uh, the barn doors of the fellowship opened wide enough for anybody to come in and do anything they wanted to do. And I understand that. I, I, th- I think that, I think you need to cast a wide net, but, uh, but there are people who are in real trouble and they are not going to survive without a personal personality change at depth, uh, and, uh, and a spiritual awakening. They're, they're just, they're just not going to, and we see them all the time. We, we see the people that don't make it all the time. So, um, so, you know, look, it would be like, it would be like going, it would be like going to the airport and watching all the planes take off day after day after day. And talking about flying, and reading books about flying, and you know, you know, hanging out with other people that that like flying, but you've never flown. <laughs> and, you know, you know what I mean. I don't want to <laughs> sit in the terminal anymore. Uh, I, I, you, you know, it, it would be it would be like it it would be like. Uh, You need an operation. You need an operation. You have to have an operation to survive, right? So you go to the waiting room and the operation, you know, the the doctor's waiting room, you hang out and you drink coffee and you meet people. But you never go in to have the operation. You know, that that's that's the experience of a lot of people today. And you bring that to their attention and they'll usually get really mad or, or think that you're you're, you're, you're extreme or whatever, but, um, Alcoholics Anonymous is a 12 step, 12 step program with a support
1: fellowship. That's Mm -hmm. what it is. It's what it's supposed to be. Right. Okay. So you, uh, so I think you talked about, I'm making sure I got this right. So you came into your first meetings and was it 85 and then you got sober in 89. Is that right? Mm Okay. By the way, I also got sober in 1989 by the grace of God. So uh, yeah, so we're the class of 89. And and so when when you came in uh and then you got sober this last time in 89, when did that kind of shift take place? Was it sometime between 85, 89, or sometime after you actually got into the program or after you sobered up? You know, all recovery
0: is evolutionary. you you know, it it and and the evolution of it was I was so beat up that I was willing to get a sponsor on day two of my, you know, my return back to Alcoholics Anonymous. And he gave me one instruction. He said, I want to see you at a meeting every single night. And I did that, you know, for my first eight years, I went to a meeting every single night. <laughs> you know, I would not, you know, it, it, it was it was like dialysis for me, you know, or something. You know, I, was, I, I just wasn't going to miss it. And I think what that did that is that cemented me in the fellowship, where I could get healthy enough to come to terms with my alcoholism and come to terms with the recovery process for alcoholism, and start to participate in in that. You know, so it it, it wasn't like a light switch going off. It was it was more of like a, 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 you know an evolution. I, and I you know I. Credit God for all this. I was way too sick uh, to be able to figure any of this out. I was I was way too obstinate and judgmental and nonconformist to 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 join a group. You know, there were so many things that were going against me, but uh, but but there was a there was a deep desire within me that was born of desperation. Um, you know, I I made it. I made uh, an attempt to. Uh, to do bodily harm to people I really cared about in my last drug. And, and, and that, that shot me into a new level of desperation and willingness. You, you, you know, uh, I just, I couldn't be the type of person that could, that could hurt the people I cared about. Uh, so I gave it a little bit of extra effort. You know, it was, uh, it's, you know, they say you can't scare an alcoholic. Well, you can't scare an alcoholic about their own death, but you can scare them about their own life. You know, it could, you you could survive for a long time and it could keep getting worse. <laughs> that's scary for an alcoholic. <laughs> and, and that's, you know, that's where, that, that's where I was.
1: So I always like to ask people who have uh, uh, come on here because I always wonder about it when I've been at conferences and stuff, because you are affectionately known as a, you know, a circuit speaker, right? I know you've been around a lot, talking a lot of, and kind of walk me through the, the upsides and downsides to that and what you've learned over the years and what your motivation was like on the beginning, what maybe it is now and how that has changed throughout your sobriety.
0: A, cu- a couple of things about that, you know. I like to refer to myself as a member of Alcoholics Anonymous who uh, occasionally gets uh, asked to uh, participate in certain events. <laughs> you, I you understand, know. Uh, but but how that happens is the healthy way for that to happen is invitationally. You know, um, you 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 get invited to do it. I, I mean, it's it's almost. Terrible luck to try to become somebody that's, <laughs> that speaks at conventions or whatever, to, to make it a point of, you know, you know, and, and, and drive toward that. Uh, that's really, that's really bad luck because, because it's, a, it's a dangerous thing. Uh, uh, w- when you get behind a, a microphone and there's large crowds and this happens a lot, uh, it's, it's, it, it goes contrary to a healthy ego. Uh, because, you know, people are clapping and then there's a thank you line. Oh, you've been so much help to me over the years, blah, blah. And, and if you listen, if you listen to that, you, you know, what, what can happen is that can be an anti-humility, uh, potion and it can become, it can, can become very, very dangerous. Uh, I've seen, uh, I've seen I've seen two things with, uh, with non-healthy circuit speakers. One of them is relapse. And that happens a lot more than you think <laughs> with, with the convention speakers. And, and the other is, you know, becoming, you know, becoming, uh, just as, is as, as annoying and, and as conceited as someone can be without drinking. Uh, you know, those are two things that can happen. The, uh, a couple of the people that you've you mentioned earlier on in the meeting uh, are are people who've uh, who've escaped that and have found a way uh, to, you know, to remain right size while
1: doing something that's very non right size. Does that make any sense? Oh, yeah. yeah no that makes a lot of sense. And I had never uh, the the the. The answer that you gave regarding uh, some sort of spin on it, like in other words, you said it's an uh, invitationally uh, centered. I love that. Uh, you can't, you can't uh, uh, force feed it, right? And you can't, you know, that can't be your goal in Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, and If it is, you know, it's um, uh, it's probably going to end up in a bad way, if you will. I agree. So, so let's talk then a little bit about your your journey throughout Alcoholics Anonymous. I mean, I know that it's a long time, right? It's thirty three years. Uh, and what stands out to you during this time about you know finding recovery in Alcoholics Anonymous? Were there any particular? I know you said it's evolutionary, but were there any particular turning points or places? That made you, where you had to kind of change on a dime, if you will. Um, it was
0: it was a it was a slow progression in the in the book Alcoholics Anonymous. Some of us have a spiritual experience of the educational variety that happens slowly over the course of time. And you know, that, that's really what I had because slowly over the course of time, I went through the 12 steps. Yeah. You, you know, you can have a sudden and profound spiritual experience if you suddenly and profoundly go through the steps. <laughs> but, uh, but I'd say if there's any, if there's any one thing that was transformational for me, it was my experience with Joe Hawk. Um, for about a six month, eight month period of time. <clears throat> uh he uh he moved me through some steps at, at a at a depth and a level <clears throat> that i had not done you remember i was working a program on my own you know i wasn't the sponsors weren't taking me through the steps they didn't none of them did that you know in the 90s not not in my area so so i'd kind of f- through tapes and you know my own you know, my own efforts—I had gone through. Well, well, now, now I was under the care and direction of somebody who was, uh, you know, was a, was a spiritual master of this stuff. And in that six-month period of time, I, I look back and my my life just completely changed. Where I was working, who I was with, the friends that I had, the places that I lived—all these things shifted uh, around that time. In that. That one year, I, th- I think it was like 2000 to 2001. Um, that was a, a defining period of time for me. I think it's it certainly cemented me into the things that I do today. I, um, Joe was one of the best carriers of the message. I, uh, um, it, you know, I, I wanted to emulate that, you know, with sponsees or whatever. And so um, that stayed with me. And it's, it's funny, I'm a quitter. You got to understand I'm a quitter. I, I, you know, I joined the boy Scouts. I went on one camping trip. Uh, I took guitar lessons. I took two lessons and stole a guitar. I joined the rest (laughs) of the team. I went to one practice. You you know what I mean? I, I went, I went to college. I got, I got eight credits. I mean, I I could give you a thousand examples of how I quit, but I didn't quit this. And, And, uh, and, you know, I have to, I have to look for, uh, uh, The hand of providence, I have to I have to look at the hand of providence for that, because this is just something I haven't quit.
1: Um, Okay, so if you were to kind of you have a lot of different folks listening right now uh, who are spread throughout. Many different countries, right? We have over 200 different countries that are listening, and so if you were to kind of wrap this up, like sharing something from your experience, strength, and hope uh, in terms of Alcoholics Anonymous. Keep in mind, you have a lot of people that are kind of sober curious, if you will. They uh, maybe they they don't know exactly what this Alcoholics Anonymous thing is, but do you want to just kind of share to kind of Wrap it up from your experience, strength, and hope there.
0: What I believe alcoholism is, what I believe alcoholism is, is it's a toxic experience of self-consciousness. That's what I think it is. Uh, I, I, we throw alcohol on it because being that self-conscious is just too painful. And a lot of people in other fellowships and, you know, uh, uh, with other obsessive compulsive disorders understand what that what that really is, and I believe the twelve step journey is a journey from that toxic experience of self consciousness to an experience of of consciousness and connection and unity with the divine, which, which is what's missing. So when I look at alcoholics hell, when I look at drug addicts, they have a missing piece. And that that piece, you can call it a God-shaped hole. You can call it whatever you want. But there's something that is in disunity with them. They're, 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 They're not connected. They're not whole with a W. And what the 12 steps do is they bring about that connection, that unity, and that wholeness. And the last message I would like to leave you and whoever is listening with is this. This year was better than last year. Last year was better than the year before. The year before was better than the year before that. So this recovery experience is progressive. It gets better over any considerable period of time. And what a gift that is. Listen, if I could have just separated from alcohol and not drank myself to death, I would have done all this stuff. But there is a benefit that there is a rebuilding process that has gone on within me that has really brought me to peace. And, and I believe this whole journey is moving away from self-consciousness, self-seeking selfishness uh, toward connection with the divine, understanding my specific powerlessness and seeking power. And uh, it's listen, it's a it's a great way of life. If, if you're unsure Give give the steps a shot. You know, you, you got nothing to lose. You got nothing to lose. Right. You're going to be sure that they're stupid and they're not going to work for you. But give them a shot. Give them a shot anyway. <laughs> yeah.
1: what's, what's the old line we always hear around right here? You, we'll, we'll refund your misery. No problem. Absolutely. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Chris S from New Jersey. Uh, this has been, uh, I've really enjoyed spending time with you. I'm going to read from uh, page 164 here to wrap us up. It says, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you and the fellowship of the spirit. And you will surely meet some of us like me and Chris S as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, Chris, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for asking me. Thank you, Chris S. I would love to hear from you all regarding Chris S or any of the other speakers we have. Send me an email at john, j-o-h-n, at soberspeak.com would love to hear from you. And, uh, thank you, Chris S. Once again, we will be having Chris S on some, uh, additional episodes coming up here in the near future. Uh, you can look forward to that. Uh, and, uh, I don't know, probably a month, two months, something like that out. We're going to have Chris on again and, uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, featuring him one more time, at least probably more. You know, I'm pausing here because I'm looking out my window. We apparently have a tornado warning, uh, and I am up on the second floor. So, you know, this would be interesting. Um, I may make it through listener feedback. I may not. Uh, But it would be an interesting way to go uh, because, you know, maybe he was, he, John M., was recording Sober Speak. And he was whisked, I like that word, whisked, whisked away um, by a tornado. But hopefully that will not happen. You know, I've always wanted to be one of those guys that, <laughs> I shouldn't say always wanted to be, this is not like a lifelong dream, but I should say I would not mind this. Uh, you know, you're, you're in a, uh, an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting and you're sharing uh, maybe even not sharing maybe just sitting there or maybe let's just say you were sharing about being happy joyous and free and all of a sudden you just keel over and that's the end of it wouldn't be a bad way to go right it happens sudden um, so uh, any of my friends who are listening to this and you're thinking about like assassinating me during the meeting please don't do that uh, this would be I would want to die of natural causes <laughs> All right. Anyway, now on to a little bit of a listener feedback. Ken writes in and Ken says, Hi, John. I was really lost for a long time. I tried AA a few times, but it never really sunk in for me. I'm not lost anymore. Thank you guys. So I'm not real sure what prompted that. My guess is, is what he meant, uh, is that he is able to grasp the program more, uh, and it makes more sense to him. And he's gotten a little traction in the program. And so Kim B, thank you so much for writing in. We're uh, very happy to hear from you and thanks for listening. Todd Todd writes in, he says, Hi John. I am 46 years old with nine days of sobriety. Good for you, Todd. I'm in California and I've found the podcast while searching for content of similarities. Ooh, that's very well phrased. I like that, Todd. He says, I am taking a sauna daily and happy to play your podcast when I can't make a different type of meeting. Oh, I'm sorry. It wasn't Todd. It is Tobin. My apologies. Tobin wrote in. Tobin R. So Tobin, I am so uh glad to hear that you are listening to us while you're taking a date. Well, first of all, I'm excited for you on your nine days of sobriety. Hopefully it's more by the time this actually comes out, but it's very cool. I think that you're listening to us while you're in the sauna. Now I'm, I'm trying to picture this. It gets pretty hot in a sauna. I'm trying to think if you're actually playing it like on, on a, a speaker of some sort, uh, or you have the little pods in your ears. And if you are listening on the pods, if those things are slipping out of your ears because it's becoming a little you know too warm in there and the sweat and stuff like that. But nonetheless, I always love to hear what people are doing when they're actually listening to the pod. Uh, I'm so glad you shared that with me. Enjoy your sauna. Congratulations on the nine days of sobriety. And it was so good to hear from you. Tobin, not Todd. Uh, Adrian writes in, and this is what, so I, I mentioned on the beginning of this episode that Adrian had made a contribution uh, in honor of his father, and he wrote this. He says, Hey, hi, John. My father was the only person who believed in me, and he was sure that one day my life will be okay. He passed away some years ago, and sometimes I'm so sad because he didn't have the time to see me sober. He was not even my blood father, but he loved me as a child. He was such a great father. All my life I wanted to be like him, but obviously I successfully failed. Brother John, you make such a good thing with the podcast. It's my second addiction. (laughs) Every single night, I listen to one or two episodes. Some weeks, I restart from the beginning. Thank you so much for your service, and God bless you, brother. Just between me and you, I listen to other recovery podcasts, but you are the best, my friend. And your bilingual Spanish slash French... (laughs) We've had a bit of that here on this show, uh, on this episode, is killing me. (laughs) It's a big smiley face. For me, it's a big help. By the way, Ted Lasso has a new season, and he's saying that because he... I've mentioned them. Um, you can tell the people who actually listen to me on the podcast. And, um, I mentioned that I was watching Ted Lasso. It's the only series I've ever watched uh, on, you know, like one of the the Netflix thing or the streaming series or whatever. Uh, and I'm going to have to get started on that, Mr. Uh, Adrian. Thank you for letting me know. And then he says, ooh, Campanero. All the best from a sober Adrian smiley face. And so I think what he's doing is calling me Campanero and it sounds like companion. And my guess is it is a, uh, now what you uh, affectionate or a regarding kind of way of uh, talking to somebody. But thank you, Adrian. I, 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 all the best to you as well. Who knows? It could mean go fly a kite or go pound sand or you're a jerk, or whatever. But I got a feeling that campanero is a good word that you want to hear from a brother in sobriety. Appreciate it, Adrian. Mary writes in, and this one's called Sober Meditations, and I'm just wondering if other people are wondering the same thing. She says, hello, John. My name is Mary B. I'm a recovered alcoholic with four years of sobriety. I live in Tempe, Arizona, and my home group is Bloopers. Oh, I like that, Bloopers. That sounds, that sounds like a good name for, or that is a good name for for a group. She says, I just listened to your podcast and I heard Buddy C., And I'm very interested in information about his Sober Meditation Tapes. How would I look for those on my iPhone? Love your podcast. I think I've listened to every one of them that is out so far. Keep up the fighting. Keep fighting the good fights on the front lines of recovery. Thank you, Mary B, and her telephone number. So I got her in touch with Buddy, and Buddy was able to tell her how to get in, how to make sure she found the sober meditation app. And so, just so you, if you, if you're not aware of this, Buddy C. Uh, who's been on the podcast many times has an app and it's called Sober Meditations and it's basically him and some quiet time and I listen to him all the time and, and what you can do is listen to him in either five minute, 10 minute or 20 minute segments. Uh, there's some about the first step, the second step, all the various steps and the various topics such as letting go and there's a lot of information out there and so if you're looking for something to help you with meditation, uh, I highly recommend it. It's a very good uh, uh, app. Uh, Jerry writes in and Jerry says, Hi, John. I am a newcomer to the podcast and I am fortunate that a friend of mine told me about it. I was just listening to your podcast with Casey talking about kcw we did a a we did an episode about uh, prayer and meditation and i wanted to share with you something i learned about prayer and meditation that simplified it for me uh prayer and meditation he's talking about en- enough to do it immediately think of prayer as a form of communication prayer being you talking to god of your own understanding and meditation as listening to his answers Thank you, sir. You are awesome. Providing meeting between meetings, I have a 25-mile commute from home to work, and I live six miles from a paved road and another 10 miles from a town closest to me. You and your podcast keep me company to and from work at least five days a week. Thank you again, Jerry. Well, Jerry, thank you for your insights on prayer and meditation. Thank you for listening to us, and I'm glad we can be a part of your journey, my friend. I appreciate it it. Mike writes in and Mike says, your story. He says, John, I appreciate all you do. And I've been listening to your podcast for a while now. I started with a couple more of the recent ones and decided to go back to the beginning and I'm making my way forward. I've been continuously sober since August 17th of 1989. And from pretty early on, I've always listened to AA speakers and workshops. Of course, back then it was all on cassette tapes. I hear you, Mike. I was listening to those cassette tapes as well. He says, anyway, I am in the present now listening to podcasts, and while I still love hearing workshops and speakers sharing experience, strength, and hope, I am definitely enjoying the format you have where you interview your guests. It's pretty refreshing and real. I heard on a couple of your earlier podcasts that you were interviewed on, I think it was the Bubble Hour, and so I went... To that podcast, but I can't seem to find your story there. Can you help me with that? Maybe the date or episode. Anyway, keep up the good work and know many of us in smaller rural areas are getting a lot out of your quote, meeting between meetings. Take care, Mike C. from East Idaho. Well, Mike C. from East Idaho. Uh, for those who uh, as I said when I responded to your email if you're if you 're a glutton for punishment, here is uh my story, so to speak uh, on the bubble hour, I also gave him a a link to the where I shared my story on uh, this here uh, podcast on Sober Speak at one point back at the end of December. But uh, Mike, it was good to hear from you. I really do appreciate it. And um, we have very similar sobriety days, my friend. You're August 17th of 1989, and I'm actually May 29th of 1989. So we were in different parts of the world getting sober at the same time. Thanks for writing in, Mike. Appreciate you. Claire writes in and Claire says, I'm in recovery from an eating disorder, working the 12 steps from the big book. I've been abstinent for about 11 months or for 11 months from my alcoholic foods and food behaviors that kept me in the disease of addiction for 45 years. It was hell. I would dip in and out of an alcoholic binge drinking, which would lead to blackouts. Um, I come from a long line of addicts, losing two brothers to their addiction of alcohol and drugs. My nan and several unker, uh, uncles were alcoholic. My dad... Just had all the isms. The big book saved my life. Although my main addiction is sugar, which was killing me slow physically, I was dead inside for years. I love the podcast. I definitely uh, identify with the insanity of addiction in whatever form that takes. Thank you for your service and fellowship. Claire M. in the UK. Well, Claire M. in the UK, thanks for writing in. And I'm so glad that, uh, not just alcoholics listen to this thing i get a lot of and we've already had it here on listener feedback i get a lot of messages from uh alcoholics uh, we've gotten them from uh, you know sex addicts we've gotten them from uh anon uh, aca uh, all over the map and i appreciate you in your kind words and i'm glad that we're able to uh give you a little bit of uh uh, help or just uh, not help, but guidance and inspiration. Hopefully thanks for writing in, me, Claire. Melissa writes in and she says, hi, John, I am from Massachusetts. I just decided to finally quit drinking 13 days ago your podcast is so helpful to me. I love listening to them on the way on my way home from work. I ran a search on YouTube and found you. I have only heard about three or four of the episodes so far. Here is what I know. Here is what I know so far about my recovery. I have not had any jackpots in my life. I was and still am somewhat An empty shell of a person and still have a lot of spiritual work to do. We all do. Melissa. She says, I want to quit drinking forever because life is so much better without alcohol, but I can't quit on my own. I am a weekend and periodic drinker. AA meetings are a part of my life now. These meetings fill my heart. Sometimes I wonder. That other AAs will consider me not eligible for AA because of my outward because my outward life looks so great. I'm a successful business owner. Not ju- oh, I just built a new house and I have been with the same person for 34 years. No children. That's all for now. Thanks, and I hope you have an amazing day, Melissa. Well, Melissa, I hope you have an amazing day as well. But I think you'll find a lot of people in the rooms who can identify with you um in fact it talks about it in the 12 and 12 people who uh it says in the in the 12 and 12 talks about women in particular who uh this thing starts late uh and they don't have to go as far down um and so anyway i would just suggest you keep going back to meetings and not be concerned about uh, what other people are thinking about you in there Kimberly writes in, last but not least. And Kimberly says, Hi, John, I found Sober Speak on Spotify while searching for podcasts about recovery. I recently accepted a job that requires hours of driving from East Texas to DFW to West Texas. I've been inspired by the podcast and has created a desire to return to active participation in the program of AA, although I am sober. I am recently divorced and suddenly an empty nester. Life hurts sometimes, and I need a program besides just me and my higher power. I'm so thankful for the podcast. Thank you, Kimberly L. Well, Kimberly, it sounds like you're back on track. I'm glad for you. And thank you for writing in. Um, I'm sure that will resonate with a lot of folks out there. All right, everybody. That is another episode of what is this sober speak (laughs) In in the can as they say um i always end this with keep coming back it works if you work it and may god bless you and keep you until then we take this one semana at a time i hope to be back next week god bless you love you guys thanks for tuning in